The Rescuers, 1977. Among many mice-centric animated features, The Rescuers is among a subcategory with Don Bluth's name on it. Bluth's style overflows with visual personality, the effectiveness often dependent on the material and vocal performance, but there is a signature smoothness and charm he captures through creative usage of shapes and silhouettes, especially with anthropomorphized animals. One of the fresher faces at Disney in 77, Bluth's influence is heavily noticeable on screen in Rescuers as he became a directing animator and his style subtly affects the aesthetics the studio embraces toward the Renaissance, despite Bluth's departure during production of The Fox and the Hound. The production of Rescuers was intended to be smaller and simpler in style, which benefits the focus of scenes compared to Reitherman's earlier comedies that fall short without specific focus. For Reitherman's final directorial credit, he is joined again by John Lounsbury, as well as Art Stevens, who goes on to direct Fox and the Hound. Rescuers, adapting the conceit of the Marjorie Sharp books, follows an unsuspecting mice duo who are among the Rescue Aid Society. This collective of worldly mice come across a letter in a bottle from an orphan in peril and Miss Bianca chooses the janitor Bernard to accompany her on the mission. The charm of the film unsurprisingly rests on the performances and chemistry of these two. Eva Gabor returns to voice Bianca and she is perfectly balanced by the stodgy Bernard, voiced by Bob Newhart. Bianca's confidence leads the film as Bernard second-guesses everything, and the visual and vocal banter keep this otherwise rote film feeling alive. The letter in the bottle is from Penny, an orphan who was kidnapped by Madame Medusa and her partner because they are searching for a rare diamond in a bayou in Louisiana, and they have narrowed it down to a cave that only a small child can fit inside. The trail that Bianca and Bernard follow to find her provides for a fun and light take on typical noir trappings, and allows their dynamic to bounce off other side characters, especially the albatross named Orville that they fly onto the bayou. Bernard's anxiety is heightened by these interactions, and Bianca's tranquility foils him. When the mice investigate the orphanage, Moore's learned about Penny's sad life before her capture, and despite a genuine vocal performance from Michelle Stacy for Penny, the scorned framing feel low rent. This flashback scene and the scenes around this plot line are ones that show the lower production quality from the earlier parts of the development to me. While there are things about this film that are winning, they are central to the lead to Mice and the character designs from Don Bluth. These scenes employ an overly saccharine edge that quickly becomes burdensome, lacking in any subtlety or shorthand. When compared to the sweetness of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, there is nothing to counterbalance the sadness within these scenes and rescuers. Pooh is a great balance of cute and funny, and it ends on a note that leans heavily into the sentimental, but the score and performances exude that balance. The score of Pooh is jaunty, and the vocal performances are specific to these simple but lovable characters, allowing the final scenes to feel genuine and charming. Rescuers, however, leans into these scenes with Penny without any of that nuance or skill the studio has historically employed, and this demonstrates the lack of stable creative direction the studio had in the 70s. Rescuers is potentially trying to correct Disney's direction as the landscape of cinema is changing in the 1970s, but the result is these overwritten scenes with Penny that lean into sappy vocal performances and musical cues, despite well-executed wit and charm around Bianca and Bernard. It is clear from the vocal tone and visuals alone that she is sad to not be adopted, but the film drives this home to an exhaustive extent that contrasts how deftly the studio controlled visual storytelling ahead of Reitherman becoming a lead director and producer. Once Penny is located, the noir trappings are dropped entirely, and the mission of the film becomes getting her away from Medusa as the action becomes much less compelling. These scenes align with average Reitherman set pieces, with rather mindless composition and blocking and no strong sense of space. The strongest of these scenes centers the mice in the pipes of a large organ. Medusa feels like a subpar Cruella de Vil, seemingly more villainous on the surface but never coming alive on screen to the extent that gives 101 Dalmatians an incredible final act. There are some fun visual ideas in between these pieces that take advantage of the setting, notably the mice using a leaf and a dragonfly to make a boat on their scale, and Medusa riding her two alligators as skis in the water. 
but these all amount to empty calories in execution and payoff. Penny finds the diamond with the help of Bianca and Bernard in an effectively perilous scene in the cave, and after the final chases in the bayou, she is saved. She returns the diamond to the Smithsonian and is adopted before Bianca and Bernard take up another adventure. Across the 1970s, there is some creative floundering happening behind the scenes without strong decision makers or visions in the room. The nine old men are attempting to work with the new animators as to form a new studio house style, but the results thus far are lackluster, and Bluth's influence and subsequent defection only complicates matters more. Winnie the Pooh is a strong standout of the era due to the nature of production that led sequences to be cohesive as shorts, and Rescuers is trying new creative choices that mostly fall flat or are half measures. While the shift in Bernard's role is refreshing after a run of Phil Harris pictures, the other aesthetic choices of tacky musical sequence leave much to be desired, and Bluth's designs are sharp but not fully realized. Disney's 70s are less stable than their 60s, and while the 80s are on an upswing of sorts, it still takes some time and new names in the room to fully regain their footing. Next up, The Fox and the Hound, 1981. Please go to ghostofjoe.com to see all these essays, you can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload, and there you will find in-text citations and works cited, and share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at Ghost of Joe, Ghost of J-O. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading. 